The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many, many ways that you work in our lives. But we thank you that in all ways, everything that is taking place in our lives is given as a gift from you for our good and for your glory. And as we think about this difficult situation, help us to actually realize the joy that is available to us through disability. And Lord, help us not to see this oftentimes trying and difficult. We don't want to minimize or lose sight of that, but to not be over, overwhelmed or burdened by the, the negative side of the consequences that we wrestle with with disability, but to really understand the good, the joy, the comfort, and the blessing that can come through this particular form of suffering. Pray that you would be glorified through this and we would be blessed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so my name is Curtis Solomon. If you weren't here for the pre-conference, you probably have never heard of me or met me before, but I'm the director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Uh, so I encourage you to stop by our booth, check that out. We are on page, I think, 94 in your notes, if you haven't found it already. And today we're talking about ministering to families with disabilities. And, and just so you know why I'm talking about this, it's not because I have uh, family members with disabilities or anything, but the, the Biblical Counseling Coalition, part of what we do is we have an annual leadership summit uh, every December where we gather together 60 or so of the world's leading biblical counselors to talk about different issues related to biblical counseling. And this past December, we had Johnny Erickson Tata, her husband Ken, and a team from Johnny and Friends out with that, those leaders in biblical counseling really talking about how biblical counseling and disability ministry overlap and should work together. And it's been a real fruitful time. Uh, we prayed greatly before the summit that God would take the short time that we're together. It's only about uh, two days worth of time. It's over, over three days, Tuesday through Thursday, uh, and just magnify the effectiveness and the work that he does through that short time. And he has answered those prayers abundantly. There have been uh, regional networks of churches in Southern California, more in the LA area, gathering together, talking about that relationship, their resources that are being written and getting ready to be published on the topic. Seminaries and Bible colleges have been adding classes and, and inviting speakers to come out and talk to their biblical counseling students about the, the natural connection of disability and, uh, and biblical counseling ministry. So today, what I'm sharing with you is just a little bit of the fruit that came from that time together um, and some of the things that I learned while we were preparing for that, some of the conversations I was able to have with people, and uh, I just hope that it is a blessing to you. And if you have questions at any point, please feel free. I like interaction, especially in workshops. If I'm up on a stage and there's hundreds of thousands of people, probably don't. Uh, try to interact, but here is a great, this, we're friends, we're family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, so please feel free to interrupt me if you would like. So <clears throat> that was kind of my introduction. So the natural connection between disability and biblical counseling ministry, uh, it, for those of us familiar with biblical counseling, this should be an obvious thing. 
But a lot of times in churches, they're, they're seen as very, very distinct things. A lot, of, a lot of churches still haven't understood the whole concept of biblical counseling. But when they see disability ministry, they primarily are focused on being ADA compliant, meeting physical needs of people with disabilities, right? Uh, anybody familiar with that? You serve in ministries like those? And those are good things. We don't want to not have those things available in churches. Those are, those are fantastic and they're great. But, and, and there is a truth to the fact that ministering to the body in, in, is one way of ministering to the soul, to the entire person, right? You see that in James and in 1 John. Don't tell your brother that you love him if you're not going to clothe him and feed him. Like, our, our expressions of Christ-like love come through physical manifestation oftentimes. So caring for the physical needs of people with physical disabilities is a fantastic thing that we can and should do as a church. But the, we also need to recognize that there are unique struggles, there are unique issues and questions that come into the lives of people affected by disability. And you'll, you'll notice with some of the language that I'm using, I'm not talking about disabled people, but people with disability. Uh, Johnny is really big on the idea of people first language because we don't identify ourselves by our struggles, right? I'm like, I'm a lying man, I'm a adulterous woman, I'm a whatever, like we, or, or I'm a blind person. No, you're a person who happens to be blind. You don't want to identify as your disability. Uh, you are a person created in the, in the image of God. And so, but some of the unique questions that, I mean, that is, that in and of itself is a unique issue to disability ministry, right? Where do you find your identity? Where, what, how much of who you are is tied up in your disability. Uh, you think about the, the parents who, are, who receive the diagnosis that their child is gonna be born with Down syndrome. And they begin to wrestle with the question of abortion or, or keeping the child and all of those different things and, and already starting to have a, a, a grieving period of a sense of loss of certain expectations. Um, what about the family who has a child who is totally dependent on them and as they age and age and age, what is the, how are they going to care for that child when they can no longer care for them, uh, that child themselves? What about disciplining a child who is nonverbal? But clearly you can see rebellion in their heart even though they can't express it through words or maybe even through bodily action. There's still a knowledge there. Can, can people with dis severe cognitive impairment be saved? Or are they automatically saved? Do they fall under kind of a, a never reaching an age of accountability? I mean, if you think about those things, those are intense questions that people and families with disability are going to be asking themselves, but those are not going to be met by making sure there's wheelchair access to your bathrooms. So, so there's this natural connection between biblical counseling and disability ministry that we need to have occurring in our churches. So just to, that's just a, again, this whole talk uh, is just going to be a short um, gift of what we were able to talk in a lot of things. But I just want to start sparking the, your mind to think about these questions. Within our churches, we need to begin to def develop disability-friendly culture disability-friendly culture, the sad reality is I have talked to people, and you may have been these people, or you may have talked to people like them as well, who have been in churches where the leadership of that church has come to the family and said, I'm sorry, this, this is not the right church for you because your child has too many needs or your family uh, is just too disruptive 
or you're too needy, or we can't help you here. I mean, think about that. How would you feel if you'd been attending a church and the pastor of that church, or he sent an elder or deacon from that church to come to you and say, you're not welcome here. And it's not because you've been sinning. It's not because you were disruptive or voluntarily trying to cause dissension in the church. It's because of something that you had absolutely no control over. And not only do you have absolutely no control over it, it's something that you have no control over and it causes you intense trial and difficulty and suffering often and you're going to try to seek help for your soul in the midst of it and they say, you're not welcome here. We, the church of Jesus Christ should not be that. It needs to be a place where, where families and individuals with disability are welcomed and received and helped and ministered to. So what are some things that we're going to, what are some things that are going to be essential with that? We'll talk about how we can begin to do that. But first and foremost, we just need to have a culture that says, uh, we are willing and able and going to suffer and sacrifice alongside our brothers and sisters to help them in whatever way we can. Now, there may be times, there may be circumstances where the church is limited and not able to, to meet all the needs. I mean, if you, I've been to some churches that are really blessed with a lot of resources and you go in and they have amazing bathrooms that have the kind of automatic chairs that people can get in and they'll, they'll sit them down and move them to the toilet by themselves. And if a, a family is coming in and demanding that from a church and the church doesn't have those kind of resources, they may not be able to, to, to meet those desires, but what the church should do is say, we don't have the resources at that time to meet that, but we love you and we want to work with you and do what we can. Instead of turning an eye to them, uh, turning their back to them and saying, no, you're not going to do that. It's a commitment to be loving to disability and in creating a disability-friendly culture. Part of that is going to be the understanding of the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence. What do I mean by that? Anybody? I'd like some interaction at this point. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the commitment to just be with people, to just be there. There's so, there's so much comfort of, and, and that's the thing, I, I don't know about any of you, but I, I don't love hospital visitation. Uh, as, having served as a pastor for a while, I did hospital visitation, and my wife would come along with me. But there's, sometimes you just are struggling because like, it's uncomfortable, you don't know where to sit, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. But the fact that you're there is all that matters. Uh, uh, when I was newly hired at the last church I worked at, there, it was just in time for the pastor to celebrate his 10th anniversary of serving there, and the church had this big party. And I remember in particular this one family that got up, and the pastor told me later, he's like, I don't even know if I really remember that. But the guy said, I don't remember a thing you said when my son was in surgery that night at the hospital, but the fact was you were there and you stayed with me overnight, and that meant the world to me. That, that's just a, an example of what the ministry of presence is. With, with, with families who are struggling with disability, or families, I, I don't even want to say necessarily struggling, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but families who have disability as part of their family uh, story and, and people in their families with disability, just having somebody come alongside and be there is going to be hugely helpful. Um, and that's going to take availability. Uh, the church has to say, 
individuals in the church have to say, we are going to make ourselves available to be there with these people. That might mean sending somebody over early to help arrange the kids, the three kids, the two of them that have Down syndrome and the others, like just getting them ready for church so that mom and dad can actually make it to church. Uh, I had the blessing of interviewing a family that have two uh, sons that have Down syndrome, and they're delightful, just a joy uh, to be around, but they have personalities, and they're, they're I mean, you just think about the, uh, anybody who has more than one, I mean, I mean, anybody who has kids getting ready for church on Sunday morning is, can be a trial, amen? <laughs> amen? So you add on to that some of the complexities added by disability, and it just, it, it gets even more of a challenge. So sometimes having somebody who just shows up and can get the kids ready uh, or give mom a break so that she can go shopping in the middle of the week, as crazy, as unfulfilling as that might sound, that can be really, really helpful. But just being available uh, to be there. <clears throat> Second thing is it's, it's a commitment. It requires long-term commitment from the church that this is not a, this is not the kind of thing where new mom comes home with a, a new baby and everybody provides meals for a week, right? That's a great thing. We need to do that type of ministry. But when you have a family that comes into your church that, that has disabilities in their family, the availability and the commitment is a long-term thing. Those disabilities, some of them will never go away. And oftentimes they're going to get worse. And there's going to be compounding factors that add themselves to it as time goes on. So we need people in churches who are saying, this, this is my ministry. This family, this person is going to be my ministry. And, and it's not, um, I don't know, how many of you have ever felt pressure to serve in the church? And how many of you have felt pressure to serve in the church even though you're already serving in like three different ways, right? Well, probably all of us, you're like counselors, you're the kind of people who want to help and when you hear of a need, you're like, I can do that even though I've signed up for 15 other things. Like, really, we need to have churches that say, we understand that your ministry, you might not show up at every potluck we have, and you not, might not be able to be on the nursery rotation or, or taking offering or anything else, because your ministry is this family. And, and the reason that that is really helpful, especially with families uh, with children who have disabilities, especially mental cognitive disabilities, is that they need consistency. They need somebody who understands the family. So you might have heard, I've heard the testimony of a few different families where the, a well-meaning church comes alongside and says, hey, we know that, that having this child with severe autism is difficult, and we want you to have a break. We want you to have a respite break. So we're going to send you away for a week, totally paid for vacation. We cover all the expenses, and we'll be there to take care of your children. And the, the parents don't know what to do because they don't want to turn down an offer like that. But they know if they leave for a week, one, it is going to be hell on earth for the person who's staying there to care for that, that child, especially if they don't know the child and the child doesn't know them. And two, the consequence of what life is going to be like when they come back after that kid has had their life completely upended for a week is going to be way longer lasting and way worse and just make it not even worth it to leave. So these parents say, we want you to understand. We love it. We appreciate the desire. We understand the heart behind that. But that is not actually going to be helpful. 
what's going to be helpful is if you have one lady who's going to come over on a regular basis, same day of the week, every time, get to know mom, get to know the routine, get to know the kids, the kids get to know her, and can, can commit to a long-term relationship with these people to walk through life together. And it might take months before mom's even going to leave and go to the grocery store, or mom's going to go and get a shower while that, that lady is there helping with the kids because it just takes time for those kids to become familiar with her and her familiar with their routine. Because the routine is what's going to be really a blessing. So we just have to understand it's, it's availability, but it's a long-term availability uh, if we're going to truly minister well to these families. And then uh, I think the perseverance there is what I was getting at with the long-term commitment. Um, questions, comments up to this point? No? You're a quiet bunch. <laughs> I won't bite. Yeah. So there needs to be a long-term commitment. In other words, the church needs to kind of set up a ministry for this in a sense to perpetuate people stepping into the, these roles. Yeah, I th well, I think, yeah, I think what every church is going to be different because of your context. So I think you have to understand, you have to think about, one, what... What kind of people are already in our church and what kind of needs are already there? And then uh, as we are growing, what kind of commitments will we need to grow along with, with the needs that come? So, uh, for instance, some small churches, you'll never, you'll never deal with this. And my, my goal, my vision for you in this conversation is just to be aware and to be thinking. Like, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we handle this situation? How do we think through these things? For others, it might be you just got a family member who, or a family into your church that is dealing with disability, and you're just trying to get some resources. How do we, how do we help? What do we do? For other churches, you might be at a large church where you're going to have a formal disability ministry, uh, where you have you, you have a revolving door where you're doing training on site for all of the people in the ministry. This is what it means to minister to somebody with autism. This is what it means to minister to a family with Down syndrome. This is what it means to minister to a family with, uh, you know, we have a blind ministry and a deaf ministry and all these different things. So it's going to look very different depending on your church context. And so the, the having the commitment, though, that we are going to create a, f a disability-friendly community is essential. Uh, and, but the understanding is no matter where that is, if you have, whether it's an individual family or an entire ministry, you want people who are going to be committed to ongoing, long-term, difficult, oftentimes, ministry. But they're going to persevere. And, and again, I, wanna, I want to say... Uh, it, it is difficult. It is a challenge, but disability is not a is not a curse. And we'll we'll talk about in a little bit just the understanding that Paul even had of his own suffering that it is a it was a blessing from the Lord. And uh, when we were together at that BCC summit, Johnny shared from her own experience, and then a number of other uh, council members of the BCC have family members who have disability have disabilities, and they said, you know what, our family would not be as joyful a place without this person. You know, like one, one family had a, a son who was uh, blind and has some other cognitive impairments, and they said, he is just the funniest crack-up kid, and everybody in the church loves him to death, and every event, you know, that he talked about this uh, living nativity thing that they did at their church, and their son was out there just pointing people in one direction, like just 
here's where you see baby Jesus or whatever it was. I don't know. And it, it, they said it just was a, the, a bright spot in the, in, the, in the night. And it wouldn't have been as good or such a blessing without him. So, and so we, so we need to remember that. And we actually asked Johnny when she came to, to, to begin our summit with that idea, the joy of the Lord that is possible in the midst of disability. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Are formed there, you know. We're, we're currently trying to figure out how we can make a care group ministry in our in our church that kind of that's one of the parts of it. Yeah. No, and you, yeah, you need to think. You have to think through in your own church what are the needs, but also what are the resources. Like, do you have people? Do you have special ed teachers who are already trained in some of these things? Like, if they are willing to have that be their ministry as well, that's a great asset, and you should utilize those people and take advantage of that. But I think one of the big things I want to just highlight is that for the most part, it's going to be a, it needs to be a long-term commitment. So if like you're in a college town and you have a lot of college students who come and go through the season, this ministry is probably not the best ministry. They might have a heart for people with disability and maybe getting some training or, or experience with that would be good. But because of the, the benefit and the need, uh, like I said, with children especially, um, the, the learning curve of replacing somebody who knows the routine of the family is so so high, it's hard to um, have a, just having a revolving door of people who are changing all the time is not helpful. I mean, most of us, we think about in a minute, we're like, maybe not, but a lot of church administrators or people who are organizing ministries are very administratively minded, so they're thinking three months on, three months off, right? That kind of rotation that you have with your Sunday school teachers or whatever. And they be, if you try to apply that kind of model to a disability ministry, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a lot of more problems than it's actually going to benefit. So just recognizing the commitment is a, is a long-term commitment. It's almost like any real, it's a relationship more than a ministry. It's not a project, it's a relationship. And I mean, and it, you're exactly right. The reality is all of us are in that boat if we're honest. And that's why Peter says in First Peter, like, I'm just going to keep reminding you of the fundamentals. Like, we just need to hear them over and over and over again. Because, I mean, I was just down in the, in the speaker's room and hearing one of our speakers who, I'm not going to say names because it was a private conversation, but she was just sharing, like, man, 
I just need to hear every week, your sins are forgiven. God loves you. Like, this is somebody who's you've read books by this person and, and it doesn't matter where you are. You're a human being. You're going to keep suffering. You're going to keep struggling. And so, yeah, there's a commitment. And, and if you've been counseling, you know there's that moment in the counseling where somebody gets something and you're like, I've said that to you. And it was because they watched a pod, or listened to a podcast or they watched a TV show and it's like, I got it. And you're like, I've been saying that to you for the last 15 weeks, every week, you know? Like, so there, yeah, we need to just but recognize that, yeah, it, it, it might, there might be a lot of repetition in your, in your ministry. The other thing I think it's, it's important to think through, and we haven't, I don't think there's been a lot of thought put into this <clears throat> yet. Uh, I mean, I haven't come across it. A lot of disability and, and especially is, is not, it's, it's not like the ministry that's going to improve. You know, like a lot of us, biblical counseling, we want to see people grow and be sanctified and become more like Christ, right? And I think that, and that's part of, people with disabilities, they can still grow and be sanctified and become like Christ, but it might look very different. And with some disabilities, it's going to be a, a leading you on a downward slope, not an upward trajectory. So your, your expectations of what this ministry looks like is what, what rewards are you going to get or receive back cannot be radical jumps in, in somebody's spiritual growth, you know? It might be just the consistent day in, day out kind of thing. I, I talked to one guy who worked in a center uh, that was a housing community for people with severe disability that couldn't stay with their family members, and he just said, I just wonder if my, what I do is a waste. Because I, I talk to these people all the time, and they, I, I don't know if they understand the gospel, but he said every once in a while, like if, if I'm singing a song with them, they're, they're, they'll sing along with me. Um, and, and he would latch on to moments like that. But he said, but then five minutes later, they might be trying to bite my ear off, you know? And that's, that's so what does is, what is sanctification growth look like? Where's the, the hope of salvation with somebody like that? I don't know. I, I mean, with every single person, it's going to be individual, but there is hope for every soul that God has created to be saved and transformed into His image. Um, and, and helping people understand, like, this is another thing with biblical counseling that we can do, is help people understand and grow in their, their anthropology, their understanding of humankind, of suffering. Because a, a lot of parents sometimes will give their kids... Um, maybe too much leeway or too much credit and, and the understanding of the Imago Dei, the image of God being uh, in a person, they, they hear that and they latch on to that and they think, my child is perfect. God made them this way, they're perfect. And I mean, in one sense, yes, God doesn't make accidents, right? We don't want to, to communicate that to them, but just because... Every human being is created with the Imago Dei. We have the stamp God's image on us, but that doesn't make us a child of God. That doesn't make us a son and daughter of the kingdom. So we still need to, to share the gospel. We still need to discipline and, and direct and guide parents 
towards that and thinking through how we do that as a as a church and in ministry to a family is is I can't give you all the details or ins and outs of how that's going to look in every particular situation because they're all going to be different but we do need to help answer those kind of questions for families uh, who have disability in their family um, yeah No, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, thank you for bringing that up because that is one of the points I wanted to make with under being the available is the families oftentimes will tell you, I don't know what I need. So when you go in there and you're asking, what do I need? What, what can I do for you today? They might just say, I don't know. And that's where just the ministry of presence is very helpful, just being there. And it might be you learn with us and you help us learn what, what will be help, helpful and effective. Uh, that family that I had the opportunity to interview, uh, if you check out our podcast, it's episode 36. It's a, it's a sweet time. And we videotape those too. They're on our, uh, the BCC's Vimeo channel. And halfway through the interview one of the sons just climbs in my lap and he wants to play with my iPad because he loves iPads and it has a timer and he's all about timers just counting down so he it's it was just a a sweet interview but that was one of the big things I hit on is just said just be there and and we might have to modify things as we go along because we don't even know what we need from you at this point Um, it's just again that commitment to be there and to do what is necessary within your capacity within your limitations to to do um, and that, that might change along the way. Yeah, thank you very much. One thing that was particularly helpful um, was the testimony of, of a guy named Paul Touches. I don't know if you've read anything by Paul. He's a great guy, uh, helps lead Shepherd's Press. Uh, they have a lot of those mini books out and a, a number of other things. And Paul has 10 kids and multiple, I can't remember how many, it's at least three of them have different disabilities. So he and his wife have walked through and and lived this life a lot. And he shared a number, he shared with us this amazing sermon, really, um, talking about the foundation of God's sovereignty and then five pillars of encouragement for families with disability uh, on top of that foundation and then above that rests the glory of God being magnified through those. And it was such a helpful thing. I, I just had to steal it and share it with you. Um, and of course, Paul would be totally happy for that to go forward. So I wanted to share five pillars of encouragement that you can give. And, and these, he said, were particularly helpful in those to remind people of. And like our sister said, sometimes it is going to be saying the same thing over and over and over. You need these reminders, especially in those moments where the diagnosis comes in or the accident happens, or the new realization of a new difficulty and trial. Like if you've known Johnny Erickson Tata and her ministry, she's been in a wheelchair now for over 50 years. Uh, She's the longest living quadriplegic in recorded human history. Um, She's about, I think she's almost 70 now. And yeah, she's 57, 58. And she's also gone through cancer. Uh, She now has chronic pain as a part of uh, her struggle. 
She has breathing trouble because of being in a wheelchair and having to have a brace that supports her to help her sit up for so long. If you've ever seen her speak publicly in the last couple of years, you've probably seen Ken have to come out and help her uh, clear her throat by shoving on her diaphragm. Um, and when we were together in December, she had just gotten a new diagnosis of some other complication or problem that is a result of the disability. I mean, in bed sores and all, you know, uh, atrophy of muscles, all the other things you can just imagine, it, it compounds and compounds and compounds. So as a family is going through, they might think, okay, we've got a child who has Down syndrome, or we have a child who has this disorder or this disability, but then five years from now, that compounds into something else, and then that compounds into something else, and then there's the financial burden, all these other things. They're going, you're going to keep needing to go back to these pillars of encouragement. And the reality is, is they're great pillars of encouragement for all of us in any of our suffering and trials, but particularly in, in disability ministry. Um, the Talges family f have really felt these to be particularly helpful. The first is that every human being is created in the image of God and for his purpose. This is just a, a, a reminder when parents are struggling with a, and, and if you have a close relationship with a family where they're op able to open up to you and share what they struggle with, you're going to hear them wrestle with wanting it to be over. You know, and how, do you, how are you going to answer the parent whose child did pass away and they feel relieved and then they feel guilty about feeling relieved? They need, to, they need to be reminded at every step of the way when those trials, when those difficult, when the diagnosis comes in, when the child is born as the diagnosis was given and as the child ages and grows and misses that developmental stage or has this new complication, they need to remember every human being is created in the image of God and, and for a specific purpose. That sounds elementary, that sounds fundamental, but it is so important to remind people of every step of the way. I heard a, a family who was interviewed on a Christian podcast, but they're a secular family, and they chose to have their, or an unbelieving family, but chose to have their child born who was born with Down syndrome. And the mom confessed. She said, I sometimes wonder if it would have been better to have, this, to have aborted our child. She needs to know that that child exists and is created in the image of God just the way God wanted for a particular purpose and for his purpose. Um, the second point is that man's greatest disability is spiritual, not physical. Man's greatest disability is spiritual, not physical. The reality is, is that no matter what, uh, Paul put it this way, is that we're all disabled, right? We all have some type of The way he put it is all, the greatest disability is inability. Right? And you can't save yourself. You can't conquer sin and death. That was done for you by Jesus Christ. And you couldn't do it on your own. You needed help. You needed somebody else to come alongside you to bear that burden for yourself because you couldn't do it on your own. But remind parents, because oftentimes, or parents or family members or individuals, because you can get so fixated on the physical struggles and the trials that are going on that you miss the, the good benefit and the, and the real 
ultimate need that is going on behind that. And like I said before, that's where churches need to recognize that biblical counseling and disability ministry need to go hand in hand. You need the people who are trained to help lift people out of wheelchairs also need to know how to lift their hearts and their souls along the, at the same time as they're lifting their bodies. You need, the, it, it needs to go hand in hand. We can't just focus on the physical. We need to focus on the, the spiritual aspect of what's going on. And that doesn't, and that obviously that means salvation. We need to remember that every single human being has a soul. Now, that ultimate question of that person who's nonverbal, who I don't know if they can, like cognitively, how much they can process, we still share the gospel with them as much as we can and then trust the Lord with the result. Just like we do with the greatest intellectual minds in the world. You share the gospel with them and you trust God with the result because we aren't the ones who change people's hearts. God is. So we need to be, but we need to not ignore this, this aspect of the disability and of the need. Another point that is really helpful to, for people to remember is that gospel's treasure is hidden in earthen vessels but made visible through suffering. If you look over at 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12 or 2 Corinthians 12, I have trouble keeping those. It is 2 Corinthians 12. I was right. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about this, this thorn in the flesh that he has been given, right? And if you read through um, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul goes through this intense and... Uh, severe suffering, all kinds of different trials. Um, some people think the thorn in the flesh is a physical disability that Paul's been left with, maybe blindness, and that's why he's able to write in other places. See how great with what big letters I'm writing. You can tell this is my own handwriting. People have speculated that's because he is hard of seeing, maybe as a result of the scales that, you know, the blinded, the blinding that he had on the road to Damascus. There's all those kind of questions. But we don't, we, we don't, aren't told exactly what the thorn in the flesh is. But we're told that Paul is given this thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan for his own humbling because of great visions that Paul has seen. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Brothers and sisters, if people who have disability and people who have family members with disabilities, they have begged and they have pleaded that the Lord would miraculously take this away. I guarantee it. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For the, when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, think about what Paul's saying there. He's saying, look, I would rather be sick, in peril, weak, all of these things because my, God's strength is manifest in my weakness. Now go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's the treasure that we have in earthen vessels? The knowledge, right? The, it's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, right? We have that treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. God's strength, the power of Jesus Christ, the glory of God would not be manifested as well in this earth without weakness. And dare we say, without disability. God's, the glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known through weakness. That is such an encouraging truth to a family who is struggling with physical or mental or cognitive or emotional developmental issues that there is the, the, that God can be made more known through that suffering and that disability than without it. Paul even talks about the fact that his fellowship with Christ is made more, I don't remember exactly where at this point, but that his fellowship with Christ is made more present through his own suffering. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ helps to manifest God's glory and unite us with him. So gospel treasure is hidden in earthen vessels but made visible through suffering. So if you were at the pre-conference, you also heard me talk about this with 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Part of the way that this is manifest is that we are going to be comforted in our suffering, right? The God of all comforts gives us comfort in our suffering. Flip over there. should be a page or two away. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Don't think, well, first of all, help the families of those who are suffering with disability recognize that God can and will give them comfort. You might be the source of that comfort from time to time and help them recognize that God can take and use their suffering to help and bless other people as well. And then also allow them, because you know, how many of you have done some type of disability ministry? Anybody? How many of you have been blessed by the ministry you've done? And you think, I have learned more from these people than I think I have ever invested in anybody else. Amen? Share that with them. Tell that to them. Let them know that you, their disability has been a blessing to you, in this, not in a crass or you know, heartless way, but just say, I have been so blessed by getting to know your family. I have been so blessed by being able to serve you. Your ministry... I, I, you know, I signed up to minister to you, but you have ministered to me more than you will ever know. When you hear somebody say that to you, doesn't that just encourage your heart and bless your heart and, and, and encourage you to, to keep striving and fighting and moving forward in faithfulness to God? Well, it's going to do the same thing for them too. Give them that comfort that you have received as well. And then I, I talked about this with the post-traumatic stress thing. Is like, man, when we think about the suffering... 
we think about sometimes our own suffering and think, man, my suffering pales in comparison to the suffering of other people. And I don't think that my suffering will be as great a ministry to other people. I think that's wrong thinking, but I, I know why we think that way. But you can tell people, it's like people with, disability, uh, with disabilities, you can encourage them like, man, the greatness of your suffering is, means all the more the magnification and the glory of the, of the goodness of God, right? Because think about this. One, one uh, Stuart Scott one time told me, he said, I think Johnny Erickson Tata is the most Christ-like person I have ever been around. Well, why is that? Because of suffering. Because of the cauldron of the, the burning of suffering that has been in her life and that God has used that to continually mold and shape her more and more and more into the image of Christ. And when, when I, I guarantee you, I could get up and say the exact same words that she gets up and says them, but people are going to be way more moved by her saying it than by me because they see the faithfulness of God through the difficulty and suffering that she has had. So help the people that you're ministering to understand that their disability is an opportunity to minister and magnify God's glory. Uh, when Paul says that these afflictions are momentary in light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us, he is not trying to minimize his suffering, right? You recognize that's in the same book, it's in 2 Corinthians, where he says, if you look down at the, in a little bit further in chapter 1 there, he said, well, he goes on to say this, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul's pointing to the fact that his affliction, the suffering that he's gone through, is used to bring about salvation in the lives of other people. I mean, you can encourage the people who are, that you're ministering to and say, listen, you can be a great evangelist. What does Satan say about Job when God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's like, well, yeah. What's not to love when you've made him rich, you've made him healthy, you've given him this huge family, and everything's great and hunky-dory. But we understand the message of Job stands out to us, not because Job is faithful when everything's going well, it's because Job is faithful and everything is stripped away from him, and he's left with sores on his body that he's scratching open, and everybody's dead except his nagging wife. That is when the light shines. It's like, how many of you ever bought a diamond? All, all the men who are like married are like, yep, had to go buy a diamond. When jewelers lay out diamonds for you, where do they put them? On a black cloth, right? And they have a bright shining light shining on it. Why? Because if you take a white, if you take a white diamond and you stick it on a white piece of paper, it doesn't shine as brightly. The contrast is not as great. But if you take a white diamond and you shine light on it and you put it on a black backdrop, that diamond sparkles. And you think, man, I will pay as much as I can possibly have to get that from the woman that I love. Why? Well, and because of that contrast. Suffering and disability, faithfulness and suffering. And that's why Peter says, who cares if you love people who love you? Everybody does that. It's when you love people who hate you and persecute you that you stand out. So when you are faithful, when you have joy in the midst of suffering, 1 Peter 3.15 comes to life. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in you. Well, when, when people, when everything's going great, people weren't running up to Job and saying, hey, Job, why are you so hopeful in the midst of this life? He's like, well, 
because they're thinking he's hopeful because he's got lots of money, he's got a family, he's got all this stuff. But when you're suffering, when you're going through difficulty and you have joy in the Lord, that doesn't mean a happy smile on your face all the time. There are days of weeping and mourning that are still joyful. When you can have that kind of joy, that kind of hope in the midst of suffering, then that diamond sparkles on that black backdrop like it never would otherwise. That's when people come in and say, why do you have hope? Peter's writing that to people who are going through persecution and intense suffering because he knows the suffering that they're facing is hard. And if they have hope in the midst of that, God is glorified. God is magnified through that suffering. And these family members who are wrestling and struggling on a day-in, day-out basis, feeling like their life is a mundane hamster wheel that will never end and it keeps going and going and going. Instead of getting faster, they're getting slower. They need to hear that God is glorified in their faithfulness to keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep wiping one body part, rolling one person over in the bed, moving them from one place to another, even though there's no, nobody else watching. God is glorified. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many attributes of God that are demonstrated to the family. Absolutely. 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 I mean And and how much how much steadfast faithfulness does God and patience does God have with us? Oh my god. There are super man of patience, these women and men that have these children. And these children themselves. Did you see they counted? No. I'll take your word for it. No, and it's, it's really, yeah, it's really important that we can highlight and teach people how they are manifesting. I mean, that's, that is what the Imago Dei is, right? Is we are manifesting to the world the image of God. We are making His character, His attributes known to people as we image Him more and more. Um, the next, uh, we've got five minutes, so I'm going to get to the next two points. Weakness is a platform for God's sufficient grace, power, and love in community. The, the, not only are, is their suffering a backdrop for greatness and God being magnified, but weakness is a platform for God's sufficient grace, power, and love in community because when we are weak, God is strong. And the love, what does Jesus say? How does Jesus say his disciples will be made manifest to the world? The love each other. Their love for one another. So the opportunity for us to come alongside and love people with disability, and this is, why, this is why pride is so harmful in every capacity in, in, in the church, is that it rob, one of the reasons why pride is so harmful is it robs 
other people of ministering and being blessed by ministry and God getting glory through the community of believers ministering to one another. Because if somebody, just think about, you probably know somebody in your life who maybe they're advanced in years and they just think, I can do everything on my own and I don't need any help, I'm independent. Uh, they're, they're isolated. They are on their own and they rob the church of the opportunity to grow in ministry and blessing and serving God and God being glorified through that. So the opportunity for the church to come alongside families is a way for God's love to be made known to the world. I mean, if you have a church that, is, that becomes known in the community for having a great disability ministry, you will attract more people with disability. Uh, I mean, that may be in one sense a, a warning or a caution, like, the, uh, but in another sense, it's a great, uh, again, humbly receive them and, and acknowledge your weaknesses and acknowledge your limitations in that, but receive them, and that is going to provide more and more opportunity for you to be a witness to the community to be a light in a dark place. Uh, And then the last is that earthly suffering is temporary and designed to shift our hope to resurrection glory. I I meant to go on to point out the fact of the suffering. Paul talks about the eternal weight of glory that is compared to the temporary finite suffering. And as I I said, he's not trying to minimize the suffering because if you look down at 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says to the people, For we do not, in verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises us from the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on, whom we have set our, he on whom we have set our hope. Paul, so here, this is, this is important. Paul is saying our affliction was so bad we wanted to die. So later on when he says this momentary light affliction, he can't be accused of minimizing the suffering that somebody's going through. I mean, how many times have biblical counselors been accused of that, of just jumping to God's sovereignty and everything's going to be okay and just have joy in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. And, and we're accused of neglecting to weep with those who weep and to suffer with those who suffer and to care deeply about the hurts because the hurts that people are facing are real and genuine and hard. And we need to acknowledge that and be okay to say, man, that really sucks. And I just want to sit with you and weep with you and cry. I'm really sorry that you had that accident or that you have that diagnosis or that you can't get out of bed anymore and that you'll never be able to have children or that your children will never be able to have children. You'll never have grandchildren. You'll never have the independence of your child moving out of the home and you having an empty nest, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like there are losses that come with the disability. Again, couched in, in the, the joy that is po- possible in Christ. And that affliction is not, doesn't feel light and momentary. Especially that momentary part when you're talking about lifetime disability. What Paul is saying is not minimize the weakness. He's saying maximize the glory. The eternal weight of glory is so much greater 
in compare like the the minimization is not the minimization of the suffering it's the maximization of the glory because the suffering is so great he's saying look we suffered so much that we wanted to die but in comparison to what that waits waits for us in heaven it is so worth it and it is so much better and we will never ever 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 be able to fully understand and comprehend until we're in glory how great that glory will be and keep people, keep reminding people of the future resurrection. I guarantee you, I don't think, there are probably going to be, people with disability are going to be skipping harder and jumping higher in heaven than those of us who've been able to run, skip, and jump our entire lives here on earth. Why, right? Because they've never been able to. I mean, Johnny talks about it all the time. She talks about how God is continually, she quotes, from the New Testament where Paul is saying, God is continually, trans- while the, the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And she says, I cannot wait to see Jesus and to walk up to him. I mean, think about that. For somebody who hasn't been able to walk for over five decades, how sweet that is going to be. And that's just, I mean, walking in eternity, when you, I mean, think about all the other things that are added to that. It is going to be so, so sweet. And, and remind them of that in the midst. You know, don't be insensitive. And when they're grieving over the accident, immediately say, just think of heaven. It's going to be so great. You know, take some time, grieve that loss. But, but bring them around to remembering the glory that does await them and to remind them. And as you, it's just like every relationship. As you get to know your friends, you're going to know those times of when, when is appropriate and when is not appropriate. Use some wisdom and winsomeness there. But, but keep reminding them to, to point to these things. And then I wanted to, to take a moment and just highlight international needs. And this might just be something that you pray about. Or maybe your church is able to do something about this. One of the things that was highlighted at our annual leadership summit is that we live in a culture, praise the Lord, that has considered and recognized that the disability community is a as a community of people in our society that need help and that are valuable and we want to preserve life. But there are cultures around the world where disability is seen as a curse. And if you keep somebody in the, in the village or in the community who has that curse, that curse will spread to other parts of the community. So there are, there are groups of people who will take a child who's born with a, some type of disability, cleft lip, Down syndrome, other things, and they will take them into the wilderness and just abandon them because they need to get them away from the the people to keep that curse away they'll tie them to trees they'll abuse them you know uh, other cultures they're just seen as outcasts and the people or things to not even people just things to be rejected and tolerated or or pushed aside so we don't even have to look at them um, recognize how much harder it would be in a culture like that and and so the the resources I would really point you to are Johnny and Friends Ministry Johnny and Friends uh, com, as well as the Biblical Counseling Coalition's website. We have some resources that will be available to you to continue to, th- to think through these things and to, to minister to people uh, with disabilities. But um, there's a lot of work to be done, and I wanted to encourage you that some of it is being done, but also recruit you to continue to do more thinking and, and writing and integrating Biblical Counseling and Disability Ministry as much as you can in your context. So. Thank you all very much um, for your time. Pleasure. Copyright 2018 IBCD. 
All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.